0: Philippians chapter two to pick up our
1: context again. Let's I'll, I'll read from verse one, but we're we're going to jump in and teaching at, at verse five. He says, if there be, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like minded, having the same love. Being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so in that paragraph we found and we taught in depth on this about the call to unity within the body of Christ, humility and service also toward one another. It's not a vague call to just being more socially conscious or something like that or or to to necessarily express these things. Humility, unity, service to one another within within a scope that is outside of the body of Christ or even outside the local congregation. If you Remember, it was a letter that was written to a local church. And all of these letters of the apostles, every single one of them, they take on a they take on a renewed relevance. And and I want to say even a a, a new poignancy when we when we read them as having received them to our own church. So you could take this letter of Paul to the church at Philippi and say, well, it's the letter of Paul to the church at Cheyenne. Why not make it personal like that? Because that's when it becomes relevant. It ceases to just be some dusty historical document That we look at every now and then for a few minutes before we go to bed and it becomes a direct communication from the from the Lord's own apostle right to us as a local church. It's to us. The letter to the the letter of Paul to the church at Rome. Same thing. It's to us to the church at Corinth. It's to us to the church in Thessalonica. It's to us. They're all to us. And with the intention that we live this toward one another here among among each other, this local chapter of the body of Christ, that's how we do it. There we go. There's our tagline again. This is how we do it. You know, it's not necessarily intended to be a reference to that old song, but it really is intended to be a reference to practical Christianity. Christianity is not merely a religion in the way that that word is is popularly understood. It is a life that we live. It's all about practical it is a practical application to the things that we do it's all about where the rubber meets the road and so this means us and it means us towards one another let nothing be done in strife or vain glory no competition no pride none of that stuff but in lowliness of mind that speaks of humility in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves look not every man on his own things get the blinders off Remember that we have brothers and sisters within even this local chapter of the body of Christ, as well as many, many other places. Okay? But also, every man also on the things of others. And so that leads right into the next paragraph, verse 5. This is a very well-known portion of Scripture. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here is the call to have the mind of Christ, not just have the mind of Christ, but to use and to exercise the mind of Christ in the way that we think. And it's worth pointing this out. Also, there are so many people in society right now, so many groups, whether they're political parties or ideological parties or colleges or institutions or even companies that are trying to control you. It seems like that's become the new obsession. It isn't even just a matter of uh, greed for wealth and greed for money. There's a there's an unprecedented greed for power that we are seeing active in our society today. I'm not trying to turn this into an end times thing. Okay, we're just spelling out the the condition of uh, the condition of our country right now and not just ours, but it's also in many other places. They're trying to control. They're trying to control people on the left want to control everything about your life, the way you think, the way you speak. And if they can control the way you speak, they can control the way you think. That's why free speech is such a critically important uh, freedom that must be defended, absolutely must be defended. But it's not just the people on the left. There are people on the right that are trying to do the same thing. They're not always the good guys. They really aren't. And we've talked about this before, that conservatism is not the same thing as holiness. Holiness is the aim of the Christian. Holiness is the goal of the church. Usually that walk that falls right in line with conservatism, but it's, it's not always because it's a different priority with different goals. But same thing with liberalism to a large degree. Same thing with liberalism. And so with so many groups, again, be it political parties or be it companies that have become politicized or, or that are just interested in making a buck and so they'll sell every chunk of data on you that they possibly can, whatever it is. They're trying to control. But what God is trying to do in all these letters, in all of this holy scripture that we have preserved in the Bible, is he's trying to teach you by the Holy Ghost to control yourself. And so when we catch ignorant and frankly, ludicrous accusations from unbelievers, atheists, marginal believers, even perhaps that are part of other groups uh, that accuse us of trying to be controlling of people's lives. That really isn't it at all. And we preach and we teach here. This is what we preach and teach. We're not preaching and teaching Tim Ferris. We're not preaching and teaching uh, some of the some of the big names in the self-help and motivation uh, field, and even in a lot of the other a lot of other ministries that are active that are out there, we're preaching and teaching the Word of God, because when we embrace it, when we embrace it and make it part of who we are, as I've been saying a lot in the last couple of months, when we embrace it and make it part of who we actually are, that's when we demonstrate how deeply and truly we believe it. That's when we live it. That's when we show it shows that we are indeed the sons of God. It's proof, it's evidence, it's proof, it's evidence, it's support, it's a demonstration of the saving faith that's, in, that's at work in us and a changed life and a changed heart by the blood of Christ and by the Spirit of God. So he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When you have the mind of Christ, And that's kind of where I I want to say that's where the whole what would Jesus do thing? That was over 20 years ago. What would Jesus do? uh, Movement was kind of born out of. Well, when you have the mind of Christ, you know what Jesus would do. And then when you have and use the mind of Christ, you don't know only you also do. Because it isn't just a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of that knowledge informing our actions, how we react to things, what we do. How we behave and communicate to, towards one another. The love of God expressed towards one another and brotherly kindness. Those things that we shared in that, that very unexpected message that, that came out. It was, it was really a blessing. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's stop right there. So he tells us to have the mind of Christ, and then he tells us right on the heels of that what that implies. In fact, it's no longer an implication; he explains it. It's it's uh, explicit that he says here. He being in the form of God, because we remember that Jesus is God. Amen. We do still believe that Trinitarians do believe that Jesus is God, the son of God. God, as we typically when we when we say God, we're referring to God, the father. But Jesus is every bit as much God as the father is. Likewise, the Holy Spirit. Thus, when we speak of God, we can speak either singularly of the father or we speak collectively of the father, the son and the Holy Ghost. Okay. so he says that Being made in the form of God, Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Of course, he wouldn't think it robbery. He was God, the son of God. But and this is the point that he's bringing out. He's not necessarily trying to create an active defense of the Trinity here. What he's creating or what he's expressing here is. If Jesus, who is the son of almighty God and who is God himself, if Jesus, who is God, made himself of no reputation, was not interested in fame. He was not interested in garnering a large Twitter following or or a whole bunch of people on Facebook following his page so that they could look at his cat videos. He wasn't interested in setting up popularity. All he did was to bring glory to God. All that he did was to bring glory to God. He he made himself of no reputation. He didn't even necessarily start his own church to pastor. Okay, he was laying the groundwork for all of it and everything that he did throughout the Gospels. as we taught extensively on last year and still have much more to go. He made himself of no reputation and then goes even further. Not only of no reputation, but he took upon himself the form of a servant. This was the king of kings. This was the only sinless man walking the earth. The only one completely devoid of blame or of wrongdoing. You want to talk about harmless. This was Jesus. And I mean harmless, not because he wasn't capable of harm, but because he had he had restraint. He had all power in heaven and in earth, certainly at one point. In the midst of his in the midst of his ministry, it had been given unto him of the father and he could have done many things which lesser men would have done. But he didn't. Not only did he not wear a crown except one that was made out of thorns that was placed on him out of mockery and out of spite, he made himself in he took up the form of a servant Now, you want to talk about real humility and that that by example of our great example right there, our Lord Jesus himself is our example in all things. He took upon himself the form of a servant, the form of someone who helps others and blesses others and supports and strengthens others, uh, not really looking, not really looking for anything in return. That's what he, that's what he's expressing here. Made himself of no reputation. OK, that's a that's a significant degree of humility right there. Took upon himself the form of a servant. That's an even greater degree of humility and was made in the likeness of men. And that says a lot for humility right there, too, because you have to remember God is infinite in glory and splendor, power, majesty, all of these different things. You read all you read that throughout the word, especially expressed over in the Psalms and in other places as well. God has all of these things. He's clothed in light and glory and splendor and majesty and all of these things. But Jesus was made in the likeness of men. You and me, sweating in the heat, shivering in the cold, working, walking, laboring. He didn't clothe Himself even in earthly majesty. His humility was that profound. In verse 8 it goes on, the same sentence. It says, "...and being found in fashion as a man..." He humbled himself. That says something there, too. He wasn't being humbled by others. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, and this is where it kicks. This is where it kicks over and actually reveals its destination. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. What is he getting at? Why is he bringing this out? Well, again, it's Paul, the apostle. And so we, we remember his teaching style. We remember his style of touching on a point, moving on to another point, spiraling, spiraling over to another point and then bringing it back around, tying it all together because all of these different things that he touches on, they're interlinked, they're interconnected, they relate to one another, they back up and reinforce one another. They they even spawn from one another and it shows us, it shows us a glimpse of a much bigger picture. So he says, he he pleads in the first paragraph for humility, unity and service to one another and then brings out the example of Jesus Christ in that very thing. He admonishes us to these virtues and then shows us Jesus in the perfect demonstration of those virtues was so humble he, he was he was not it was not robbery to be counted as equal with God made in the form of God but he made himself of no reputation he became a servant he was found he was made in the likeness of men and being found as such he humbled himself and then he became obedient unto death even the death of the cross and he differentiates or he elaborates on that not just death he didn't just uh, die of an accident or die of a natural disaster as we preached last Thursday. He didn't go down, uh, he didn't, he didn't go down in a shipwreck when they were in that boat that was caught out there at sea. And, and all, all of that, all that came with that message. The death of the cross was what he died. He could have died a peaceful death. He could have died well, he could not have died a natural death because he had no sin. But he could have died a peaceful death. He could have died a death that was not so disgraceful and shameful and exposing and violent and torturous, but he submitted himself and became obedient not just unto death, but unto the death of the cross. It was a criminal's death. It was a guilty man, a sinner's death. It was one for enemies of the state, which is to say enemies of the Roman Empire, because that's who ruled Israel at that time. He became obedient even unto that death. And so because of all these things, because Jesus humbled himself... When he did not have to, when he humbled, because he humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, made himself into a servant, uh, was made in the likeness of men, being found in that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, because he did all of these things, this profound humility that he embodied and demonstrated, he was rewarded. He was rewarded. Verse nine. Wherefore, that means because of all this stuff I just said, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he's very careful with his language to make it clear to the believers here in Philippi and to us believers here at Cheyenne That Jesus is not exalted above God. But God has exalted Christ. Christ humbled himself and endured all that he endured for our sake. And so, therefore, God, once he hit the absolute bottom of of what that humility demanded and required, what the mission called for, even the death of the cross and anything that may have come after that for the in the three days that he was in the heart of it, that was he was, as the Bible said, in the heart of the earth. We understood that he went into the nether regions, Okay. Then he was then God the Father raised him up again and did not just raise him up, but exalted him. It says, highly exalted him and placed him above everything. Placed, gave him a name that's above every name. There's no other name on earth, not certainly not in my name, not anybody else's here, at which people bow their knee and confess lordship, confess their submission and confess our lordship. We don't have any lordship. OK, we're kings and priests in a certain context and all of that. Yes, we're not taking from that. But Jesus's name has now been so exalted. You ever wonder why your, the, your neighbor down the street isn't named Jesus? I'm not talking about the Mexican neighbor who's named Jesus. OK, I'm not talking about that. Their, their, their culture allows for that. But in in most Christianized societies, People don't name their kids Jesus. They don't. And name them after the, the apostles, you know, Paul, John, Luke, whatever. Or name them, you know, Bill or George or something that has no biblical basis at all whatsoever. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a name. It's a name. Most folks in America, our names don't mean anything anyway. You know, or, or it's, it's not held in high regard necessarily. It's just that phoneme with which we recognize that we're being addressed or someone's talking to us. But the name of Jesus is now so exalted. And I think that I'm I'm really persuaded. I could be wrong, but I'm really persuaded, at least at this time, that that's why we don't name our kids Jesus. Because there ain't a man or woman walking around on the face of the earth worthy to bear that name. Because His name is exalted above all other names. Can you imagine actually having that name? What a name to live up to. Well, and it'd be worthy, you know, it'd be, it'd certainly be a worthy name to live up to if, if we could. And we strive to, certainly, even though we don't necessarily have that name. We're still called by God's name in another context. And so, what's the deeper lesson here? He wasn't just, he wasn't just reciting this to, to remind the Philippian church of all that our Lord endured. It wasn't just a history lesson. It wasn't just that at all. Hey, bear in mind, this happened, guys. It wasn't just that. There's a deeper lesson in that, that if we likewise Humble ourselves if we likewise humble ourselves like our Lord did. I mean, we know that we're kings and priests because of what the because of what the word of God says we are. Okay, so that's not a pride trip saying that it's just agreeing with and embracing and accepting what God has said concerning us. But that doesn't mean that we're walking around in elaborate and arrogance, flamboyance and all that other stuff. That's why, brothers and sisters, that's why we as Christians Shun the vanities of the world. We shun those vanities. It's why we don't become obsessive with our looks and all of that. And, and what attention we do give to our looks and our outward appearance should be uh, born of this kind of humility. So we're not all about flash bang and, and flash and dash and impressive stuff and and trying to catch the eyes and the attention of other people. It doesn't mean that we don't dress nice or dress well. It just means that we're not trying to draw undue attention to ourselves because humility does not seek to call undue attention to itself. And we and we grasp that when we have a right understanding of what humility really means. It's not it's not about talking ourselves down or hating ourselves or trying to convince ourselves ourselves that we're stupid or that we're ugly or that we have no value or anything. All that's all of that stuff is devilish. It's false humility and it's designed to destroy, not to strengthen. But real humility. Let me tell you what real humility is. And this is very quickly becoming a, 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 the core of this lesson is becoming humility itself. And that's good. That's fine. Let's learn it. Real humility is a suit of armor. It's a suit of armor around your soul and your heart and your mind. Because it's, it protects you from Pride, and I'll tell you something, man, pride is a killer. It is a killer. It is a Christian killer. And you read all, of, all throughout the Word of God of what God has to, has to say about pride, and it's understood that it was the very first sin. It's alluded to double references in Old Testament Scriptures and a little bit even in the Gospels concerning where the devil came from, how he was first Lucifer, He was known as Lucifer. That means light bearer. Okay. And that he was beautiful and he had authority and he had power. He was God's anointed cherub. It's a certain kind of angel. Okay. And he was these things, but pride was found in his heart and that, that resulted in his rebellion and it resulted in his fall. Pride destroyed Lucifer and gave us the devil. Our Lord Humbled himself, said that he took upon him, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And if he is our example and he is, then we ought to do the same thing. But now here's the promise. Okay, if we do, if we do as Jesus did, remember, this is how we do it. If we do as Jesus did, if we humble ourselves, if we make ourselves of no great reputation, and, and, and what I mean by that, all right, is it's not saying that you can't have a good reputation or a good professional reputation. Certainly you want a good professional reputation so that people will hire you. You know what I'm saying? So please don't misunderstand this. And we're not talking about that kind of reputation. He wasn't trying to make himself famous in the eyes of the world, all right? When we're, when we're talking reputation in this context... Think of Hollywood celebrities, think of uh, uh, celebrity athletes, think about those that people most love and admire in the world today and all the fame and the false tinsel glory that comes along with that, that always dies. Sometimes that glory that sometimes it, it dies sooner than later, but it always dies with the person or lingers at the person's dead. They certainly don't take it with them. They're gone. It's over. He's talking about that kind of reputation. He made himself of no reputation because certainly he certainly he garnered a reputation in the midst of his ministry, didn't he? People knew who he was after a while and they were coming to him. They were mobbed, not mobbing him, but no, they did on a couple of occasions. They mobbed him. And on one or two occasions it was to do him harm, but it wasn't the right time. And so he escaped clean, clean and uninjured. The deeper lesson in this is that if we do the same, God will also exalt us in due time. That's the promise. Jesus is our model. He exalted himself and God or excuse me, he humbled himself and God highly exalted him, placed his name above all others and promised that in due time, every knee is going to bow before him and every single tongue is going to confess that he is Lord without exception. That day is coming and it's going to be a glorious and maybe even a terrifying day, but not for us. Not terrifying for us, because we're going to be at his side when all of that goes down. We're going to be at his side. So it's a promise to remember. And so, again, if he's our example, we should do likewise. And if we do, we will also be exalted. That doesn't mean that he's going to place our name above every name because we're never going to be above Jesus. Neither should we even think that we would want to be. OK, it, it just that's just not for us. And so let us have no silly, no such silly ambition. Let's just be content with the promise that we will also be exalted in due time. And sometimes he exalts us in certain ways in this life at his pleasure and to further his purposes. And that's fine. And sometimes that exaltation doesn't come until we're dead and, and on our way to or dead and, and in the next life. OK. And that's fine. Either way, that's fine. Because when we're humble with this kind of humility, this kind of humility that Christ had and, and exercised, okay, when we have that kind of humility, it's no big deal. It's no big deal because we're not looking to be famous. That's not a priority to us. What a small ambition to have just to be famous with people. Who cares about that? So many people do. And it's like their their highest ambition is to be. And even if it's not their highest ambition, you know, it's one of their ambitions is to be admired by other people. I just want to be admired by other people. Why? Is is our own sense of self-worth so afflicted. And so underdeveloped and so small that we crave the admiration of other people. I'm not, I'm, not say, I'm not saying that it doesn't feel good when someone takes notice of something good that you did or some, or some major accomplishment that you made. It does feel good. But we should not covet that. The admiration of others. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Okay, it's not, I'm not trying to make it sound like the admiration of others is a sin. It's not a sin. Okay? But because the coveting of that admiration is a bad goal. It is a low, substandard goal that will lead you down a wrong path. It will lead you down the path for seeking for fame. You say, well, oh, this, no, this is a no-brainer, Pastor. You know, there's no danger of any of us falling into that sort of thing. I, I pray not, and I hope not, because you really find it in churches. Not just in people in the entertainment industry, not just people that are in professional sports, not just people that that are that are out there, out there in those spotlights. You find it a lot of times in churches with people who crave the limelight. They want to be the one that is seen by others doing X, Y or Z. It's not wrong to want to do the work to the glory of God. But when our motive is to be admired by others, we have a bad motive. And what that should do, it should be very revealing. If you know, if anyone should have that motive to honestly recognize, I'm not really interested in doing it for the glory of God. I'm just really wanting to be seen and and admired by other people. OK, well, that's not a good motive. Well, what do I do about that? Well, what we do is what Jesus did Now, Jesus not was not. I don't know if he was necessarily faced with that temptation, He was tempted and other things. We we proved that over in the Gospels. It's recorded. It's a matter of record. But what Jesus did was he humbled himself. Verse eight, being found in fashion as a man, it didn't mean in style, didn't mean like in nice clothes with the right haircut, you know, and all that. That's not what he means by fashion. It means fashion means in shape and form being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Himself, brothers, sisters, humble yourself. If you find within your heart an inclination towards that kind of haughty or self-serving type of motive of being seen and admired by other people. Well, recognize it. Be honest with yourself. Doesn't mean you have to tell everyone around you and shame yourself. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means you recognize it in yourself. You be honest with yourself. You take it to God. You humble yourself like anything. Just like last Thursday talking about the storms of life. Well, you take your storm to God and let him calm first the storm in your own heart. Well, you take this particular thing to God as well. And like Jesus, you humble yourself and you remind yourself. I'm only what I am by the grace of God. And you mean it because you truly recognize it. If it were not for the grace of God, I wouldn't even be in the body of Christ. I wouldn't even be saved. I'd be out there living the same sorry, maybe even disgusting sinner life that I was involved in before. And and I'm telling you, people get clean escape from some nasty stuff. And when God absolves us of all of that and washes all of that away by the blood of Christ and our accept, our acceptance of Jesus and of and of His work and all of that, when God when God wipes the slate clean in our lives because we've repented, come to Him and all, all that comes to get, all that comes with that. Okay, He doesn't take away our memory of those sins, and there's reasons why there's reasons why we we remember sometimes the things that we used to be involved in because sometimes that helps to remind us where we come from. And that helps protect us. Remember what we said. Humility as a virtue is humility is a suit of armor. It protects you from pride and it's heavy, heavy armor and it's good. And I don't mean heavy, heavy like it's a heavy burden to bear. It's actually very, very light. It's very light. It's not a burden on the soul. I mean, it's heavy as far as it's heavy duty. It's heavy gauge. And pride can't get through it if you don't want it to. And so we think back at times. Some of the more shameful things we did in our old life. And we let it not guilt us, not bring us under condemnation, because, again, it's been forgiven. It's in the past. You leave it back there in the past. But every now and then it can be helpful to go back through that museum in your mind. My goodness, I can't believe I did that. Usually a stop at only one or two displays in that museum is enough to just go and leave the museum thoroughly. Reminded and humbled. Thank you, Jesus, I'm not what I used to be. Thank you, Jesus, I'm not bound to those sins anymore. You granted you granted me repentance and I repented and I'm different now. And so. He elaborates on this. On that call to humility again. And that call to humility again. Let's remember, and again, brother, it's, it's, not to, it's not to beat anyone over the head, brethren, sisters. It's not to beat anyone over the head. It's not to bring anyone into condemnation or make us feel bad about ourselves. It's just that every now and again, every believer can use a slight recalibration in their humility Uh, In their humility index. okay. let's just call it that. Can we do that? Let's let's actually give that a name, shall we? Our humility index. They call it a heat index in tropical environments when the the humidity is so high that it makes uh, like 90 degrees feel like 115. It's just absolutely horrible. You feel miserable. So they they call those two things, the heat and the humidity. They combine it and call it a heat index. Okay. just like cold temperatures and cold wind, they combine it to give you a wind chill factor. Well, every now and then we need to adjust our humility index. Just to remember, yes, I'm a child of God. But only by the grace of God. And I'm OK with that. And I'm telling you, brethren, it will protect you from so many things. It will protect you from vices you hadn't thought about in years. It'll protect you from pitfalls, from fiery darts, from temptations of the enemy. It will protect protect you.
0: Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible Studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are Red Letter Studies on the Life and Teachings of Our Lord Jesus Christ, Historical Studies on the Old Testament, Topical Studies on Biblical Doctrines, and Practical Studies on Christian Life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www. .myntcc.org backslash cheyenne wy dash giving